right, we're live and we're rolling, and this is The Real Venture. I'm your co-host, Peyton. And I am your co-host, Luke, and we are entering the world of business by starting a few companies of our own. So we decided to create this podcast as a platform so that we could ask other successful entrepreneurs the questions that we need answered in order to help our business grow. Every single week, we are joined by CEOs, venture capitalists, artists, co-founders, and influencers, all with one thing in common, they're young entrepreneurs. The only thing I'm going to need you to do is hit that subscribe button below so you never miss a conversation. Every single Wednesday, Luke and I are going to be right here, and we can't wait for you to join us. All right, guys. Hey, thank you so much for uh, for coming in. You know, first, before we you know go through any introductions, I just got to kind of talk about the serendipity of being in Austin, Texas. So we originally were talking about doing this podcast yesterday and, uh, you know, we were, we were going to push because you guys were traveling. Well, you happen to be traveling in the same city that we live in. And I think Austin is, is one of the few cities that actually would be able to, uh, you know, have that experience. If we were in Omaha, you know, the chances would be, would be pretty low. So I really appreciate you guys actually coming in and talking today. Why don't we just start off with a, you know, little introductions. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. You want me to go first? I'll go first. Um, (laughs) I appreciate it, Peyton. Thanks for having us on. Um, myself, my partner are excited to, to be here um, on your podcast. My name is Brandon Wimbush. I am a, um, I'm a former quarterback for the University of Notre Dame uh, from northern parts of New Jersey, uh, Gatorade State Player of the Year. I like to bring that up because our, my high school just beat Aiden's high school in, in a, in a uh, northern Jersey rivalry. Um, I studied accounting at Notre Dame and, and spent some time doing some venture capital work at Excel in Palo Alto. So super excited again to be here uh, and speak on Mogul and the Austin community in, in general. Absolutely. Sweet. Yeah, Peyton, uh, echo everything that Brandon said. Really excited about the opportunity to be on the pod here. Um, background about myself, Aiden Sile, also grew up in northern parts of New Jersey, um, attended the University of Notre Dame, where I graduated with a management consulting and sociology degree. And then went on to continue my professional career working for Morgan Stanley and Lexington Partners in private equity, and then in a corporate strategy role at IHS Market. But extremely excited to discuss what we built here at Mogul and the value that we're going to be able to provide not only to the Austin community, but to communities throughout the country and to athletes throughout the country as well. Awesome. Well, so you guys both, you know, dropped that you both attended Notre Dame and, you know, everybody on the podcast knows I was a Purdue guy, so I have to, you know, give a little jab there, but you guys got us this year and that's... That's okay. Somehow, though, you know, if you guys were in the top five, we would have beat you because that's kind of like a, <laughs> that's your thing. Right? That's, our, that's our thing right spoiler now. Spoiler makers. Yeah, we're the spoiler makers. Except that, that did not happen against Ohio State. They probably played one of their best games of the season, and I hope they uh, I hope they play like that because I want the Big Ten to, to to do well. But so you guys uh, both went to Notre Dame. Is that originally where you guys met, or was that a connection that kind of brought you together later on down the road? Yeah, it. Uh, I think it brought us it brought us together down the road. But we had we had originally met at Notre Dame more on a social on a on a social level. Um, Aiden's a couple of years older than me, um, so it was just kind of just the the Jersey thing. And oh, okay, this kid went to a rival high school, and we, and we know of each other. Um, and then we were connected more professionally later on in our careers at the end of at the end of our our Notre Dame careers, and then more so professionally when obviously we were both in the professional ranks, and Aiden was looking to explore the, the college athletic space um and he did a really good job of, of obviously maintaining his network and then reaching out to you know athletes who had a great perspective on obviously what was to come in the new name image and likeness rule gotcha so mogul we'll, we'll get into what it is and you know what it what it's geared to do because i think it's an incredible product and as a as a former athlete i'm really excited because i think that nil is the future and and, and we've touched on it NIL, what it is, what it's all about, and and we'll continue to cover that too. But, you know, so you guys both studied um, business uh, in in different capacities at Notre Dame. What kind of got you interested in continuing with that, maybe starting your own business? Uh, What kind of led to the foundation and the start of Mogul? Yeah, so at the time, um, dating all the way back to October of 2019, I had been working in private equity at the time. And, you know, definitely enjoyed my experience, but I never felt like I was truly making an impact mm-hmm. and making a difference in the, in the lives of those around me. Um, taking it one step further, right, the the hours were pretty brutal and you really just feel like you're a, a spoke in a wheel, yep. um, purely execution oriented. Um, so I was really looking for an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others through an area of passion, um, not just an area of, you know, execution through finance, right? Um 
So at the time, California Governor Gavin Newsom had put protocols in place that would allow California athletes Mm -hmm. to monetize their name, image, and likeness starting in 2023, which was when the original business plan for Mogul was written. Um, Candidly, it hasn't changed too much since then. Um, We recognized that athletes were going to need a safe, secure, and compliant medium to connect to opportunities to monetize their name, image, and likeness. And that's what the original business plan for Mogul was. Um, So that was all the way back in October of 2019. And then, you know, shortly after that, the dominoes started to fall from a regulation perspective, really allowing Brandon and I to team up here and start developing this product. Absolutely. So what is NIL? We, you know, we, we, we dropped that acronym a couple of times. What, you know, you guys are around it a lot. So what is your best definition of NIL? Yeah, name, image, and likeness, right? Um, what it is, is it allows athletes to monetize their brand or their publicity rights. So effectively, collegiate athletes in 99.9% of the cases have the, are at the peak of their brand potential. And historically, they haven't been able to leverage that brand or monetize it in any way. And now with the new you know, landmark ruling on July 1st, 2021, collegiate athletes can now use their platform and their brands that they've built over the course of their athletic careers to you know, build their own brand, continue to build their brand, and also monetize it and provide value for the businesses as well. Mm-hmm. Are there any rules around NIL or can anybody go make any kind of money wherever they want at any time? No, there's definitely reg- there's definitely rules and, and regulations, Peyton. Um, as you know, as a former athlete, compliance has a um, almost egregious oversight yep. of everything that we do uh, on a daily basis. So there has to be rules, and to you know, the big thing for the NCAA is maintaining uh, the amateurism status of yep. their of their uh, of their athletes, right? So the big thing is that they don't want, you know, the universities to be able to compensate the athletes, right? So that's why sponsorships and third-party um, sponsorship and opportunities are the way to go. And and that's why we're excited about the space that we're in and being able to offer a, a safely compliant uh, and reliable marketplace uh, for these athletes. But then there's industries, right, that are banned from engaging, right? So adult entertainment, um, alcohol, um, at least for athletes who are not the age of 21, uh, gambling, right? Sports, sports gambling is obviously is banned from NIL, uh, the cannabis industry, right? So, um, and then international students don't yet have a set of laws that mm. uh, allow them to monetize their, their name, image, and likeness. So that's like 15% of, of student athletes, right? So you talk about market opportunity, right? That we're not able to really tap into yet. That's 15% of the student athlete body, the, the, the international students. So um, and that has to do with visas and, and green cards, yep. right? So we're still waiting on that. And, and you know, our thing at Mogul is, is we're big on compliance. Um, so what, and, what, what uh, is Mogul? I mean, tell, tell us what sorry, you guys yeah. have built. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what Mogul is, is it's a platform that allows athletes to seek out opportunities to monetize their name, image, and likeness. On the flip side, it allows businesses and brands, both at the local scale all the way up to the national level, to really access um, athletes for marketing opportunities. So we like to say it's a safe, secure, and compliant marketplace that allows athletes to scroll through verified opportunities to you know make money, get paid. Um, it allows businesses um, and democratizes access to athletes for businesses to build awareness for their products and services. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, as a as a business owner myself and as a former athlete, I see this synergistic moment, right? And and what gets me really excited, um, and I think a lot of our listeners too, who maybe are, you know, in their own business outside of college, there are so many opportunities for businesses to get involved in this. And I, th- I think a lot of the focus is put on the athletes, which is the way it should be. I mean, the athletes are the reason that all of this is happening, but there are so many opportunities out there for businesses to get involved and really take advantage of this. And I kind of want to dive into into what that looks like. So, as you said, the the platform has uh, you know multiple verified opportunities. So, if I'm an athlete, what does this process kind of look like for me? Am, am I logging on and then just kind of scrolling, or what? Yeah. So on? we've we've really done a lot of iterations to the platform, to our process, to our systems to make it the most athlete friendly product that's out there for the athlete. So it's really simple to sign on, create. Uh, a profile similar as you would do on a LinkedIn or any other social media platform. And then once we approve that account and verify that you're an actual college athlete, then we grant you access to essentially what's a job dashboard of opportunities, right? That are 
um, the, the marketing opportunities that Aiden um, alluded to, right? So, we, you know, we've done appearances, autograph signings, uh, majority of NIL has been social media campaigns. Um, and those jobs are posted by uh, the local businesses, the local or national businesses for athletes to apply to. Um, and then once you apply to them, right, let's say I see an autograph signing for $500 that really is appealing and, and compelling opportunity to me. All I do pay is apply to it. And then what, as I was saying, our, our compliance system is very streamlined. So once an athlete applies to that opportunity, that contract is sent directly to compliance for their oversight. For, their, for the athletic department? Yeah. Okay. So we have oh, wow. direct communication um, with each athletic uh, department's compliance office just so they can have some oversight mm -hmm. and insight into what our, our, their athletes are doing on the mobile platform. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a streamlined process. And then the athlete applies, they get hired for that job, and then they do that autograph signing. Um, and then they're also paid right there in, uh, through our payment system. So it's, it's, it's a very A to Z process, right, that yeah. we like to say. And it keeps the athletes all, you know, the entire process for the athletes all on one platform. Talk a little bit about the process of getting that set up with each individual athletic department, because that's no easy task. I mean, you know, there are 120 division one programs, but NIL extends beyond division one to, yeah. to, to other. So kind of what was that process like where, you know, all athletic departments extremely accepting right off the bat, or was there kind of a process of, of working it into them? Yeah, I think for us, we, so we went out and hired a uh, director of compliance, but before that, you know, I had an understanding as an athlete what it, you know, what compliance was going to want to, how they were going to want to engage. So I told Aiden that this was going to be a really important component, and Aiden understood that. So that's why we went out and hired a director of compliance. But even before we hired him, our goal was to get in and and build trust. Yep. Um, and Aiden can speak more to the the uh, legality of how you're able to work with a university versus how you're able to work with student athletes. But, um, you know, our big thing was building trust. And then, you know, just for our system, it was it was obtaining, you know, each compliance office's emails that we can communicate with. Um, and it was more and it wasn't just getting them on board. It was it was OK. We're doing this preliminary to anything being allowed. Like we want you to we want you to have full, you know, trust into what we're doing for your athletes. Right. So we're, we're providing you this information for free and. And we're not even asking you if you want it, right? Yeah. It's, it's we're giving this to you because we want you to have that insight that we know you you want to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing that really differentiates Mogul in this space is that it was a built as a free market for athletes and businesses to leverage, but we were built to ensure that athlete eligibility is never impacted negatively throughout this entire process. So universities receive our incredibly robust disclosure automatically for everything that their athletes do. So all activity on the mogul platform is disclosed, whereas broadly throughout the marketplace, only 10% of name, image, and likeness deals have been disclosed to the university. Mm -hmm. So universities are incredibly receptive towards what we've built. Um, the disclosure process is incredibly streamlined for them, and they're, they're assured that everything that's done on our platform is disclosed. And the best part is they don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Okay, you just, you just kind of brought up something I, I never really thought about. You know, let's say I go off on my own as an athlete and I get my own deal. I mean, is that the vast majority of, of deals people doing it on their own? I mean, that must be a compliance nightmare. Yeah, yeah for real. Yeah, I mean, if like, I'm a shady uh, business guy and you know, I just fire off a DM to, to somebody that, you know, I want. So kind of what's the problem with doing that? What, what kind of nightmare does that cause for the athletic departments? Yeah. Well, the difficulty with that is that athletes have been largely uneducated or uninformed in this new space. And it's not a fault of their own. And in many cases, it's not a fault of the university either. The NCAA gave them absolutely no um, wiggle room or lead time with regards to this new landscape. They just kind of right? la launched it. <laughs> June 30th, President Mark Emmert said, hey, all right, this is coming in. Every school, manage your own policies, create your own protocols, um, which obviously doesn't work for anyone. Universities are already... Um, strapped from a capacity perspective yep. after the pandemic. So, you know, what's happening at this point is businesses are, as Brandon said, DMing athletes and saying, hey, do you want to work with us? But then athletes are signing contracts that they don't even know um, what they're really getting into. Yeah. It's limiting what they can do on, the, on a long-term basis from a name, image, and likeness perspective. 
And they're also just not having pr proper oversight from a legal perspective into it, um, which is where we come in, right? Obviously, we're ensuring not only compliance, but every every opportunity is fully vetted and verified through yeah. the mobile platform. You know, I remember, you know, coming in freshman year, uh, we get that first cost of attendance check. And for a lot of people, they just go and they blow it, right? Because they're excited about having this you know, big sum of money that kind of popped up for, for no reason. But I'm also kind of thinking the same thing happens when you get a DM from yeah. somebody and they're like, Hey, for 20 K you do this, just sign this contract. Are any athletes kind of overextending themselves and then getting into trouble because they're not reading the fine print. They're not realizing that they're locking into an exclusive agreement with this person or, yeah, or anything like, kind of like agreement that. in perpetuity in perpetuity. They're getting a slice forever kind of thing. Yeah. The only, the only, uh, kind of deal I've seen kind of go, you know, in the wrong direction is is the basketball player, and, and it's a unique situation. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but the kid declared for the NBA draft. You know, um, started selling his gear through a um, another company that that was doing you know the merchandise thing, and they're doing really well and a great great team over at that company. But in the NBA, you have the chance to kind of rescind your decision to to yep. declare. And and return back to you know the NCAA right so then you have to obviously abide by the NCAA rules and um, so he had sold his gear and made money and it was before July one so uh, for him to come back and play this year he was suspended I think a couple of games but it you know it's, it's just a very unclear situation and um, and and timing right so uh, but yeah we've seen athletes kind of you know again the uneducation and and the uninformed. Um, thing has, has definitely played a part even in, in week one there was things that were going on where athletes weren't aware of of uh the fine print within contracts so we try to do our best in being very transparent with athletes and and businesses as well so um yeah it, it's such a learning it's such like for us like we learn something every day yeah. and we try to stay as close to the land as possible and i think that's going to happen a lot this year right because this is like the the frontier year the the question marks because yeah. it's you know, there are people that are going to take advantage of it and, and do some crazy stuff because the rules and regulations maybe yeah. aren't aren't there. So, um, you know, do you think anything is going to get walked back after this year? Has there been any structure of deals, type of deals that maybe yeah. might not be well, yeah. possible in the future? I think we can speak on this, right? Like we've seen the pay, almost the pay for play and the oh yeah, the booster. Like there's going to the, be the booster so much. one is is really interesting to me because. So the, the walk-ons get, you know, yeah, exactly. Everyone so, deserves things, but the way that we were going into it, you know, it was going to be hard to facilitate full team sponsorship deals. Mm -hmm. But we've seen that at multiple, like Miami and BYU. BYU, we've yeah. Seen it. So, you know, we have we have our thoughts, and I mean, we're at we're we're Notre Dame guys, right? Like yep. we could easily. So you know, we've and Notre Dame wants to do things right, and um, and so do we. Right. So, you know, we're very weary of, of the way that we engage with, you know, especially when it comes to group licensing and doing things with entire teams. Right. Like, yep. So, you know, we're just being very cautious about, you know, some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that we do um, out of caution, but also out of support for our athletes and our user base as well is we provide resources both for partners and for athletes around name, image and likeness, monetization and regulation. Mm -hmm. We're really trying to educate and inform all of the users and our entire customer base on the mogul platform, because at this point, unfortunately, um, just so many people are are not educated in this space, and so we're confident that our approach um, and our you know our really thoughtful approach here will will win out in the end. But yeah, like you said, um, we've seen some really interesting deals go go in so far. Yeah. So education, I think, is is a massive part of this. And we've spent a little time talking about educating student athletes. Now let's flip to educating the businesses because that's 50% of this equation. So what does Mogul do for businesses? Yeah. So what Mogul does is a few things. One, as I mentioned, we have the, the resources for partners. So we've created a number of instructional courses and curriculum and, and resources, you know, presentations, things like that that helps them to creatively think about different ways that they can engage from a name, image, and likeness perspective with athletes. But also one of the things that we like to do as well from a customer success perspective is work really closely with all of the businesses on our platform 
Because at the end of the day, 75% of the businesses on our platform are local businesses mm -hmm. that may or may not have the capacity or the wherewithal to manage their marketing campaigns, right? They've never done this before. So we work really closely with them to help them to think about ideas and different ways in which they can work with athletes, but also we help to highlight specific athletes that would be great candidates for that campaign. And then taking it one step further, the way that the platform's built is it's built, as I said, as a free market. So it gives businesses visibility into all of the other opportunities on the platform that other businesses have posted in an effort to hopefully open their eyes to the different array of possibilities um, and help them to see if their offers are competitive as well. The the focus on local businesses that is, I think is really important because the, the two schools that instantly come to my mind are Louisville and Texas. And the reason is because there are no professional teams in Louisville and Austin. I mean, there is an MLS team here now, but those are massive markets and the college sports is the focus of it. So from a local business standpoint, I would want to do everything I could from an NIL standpoint to work with those athletes because they're big cities, but the college athletes, I mean, they, they run it from a, you know, fame standpoint. So what are some of the typical deals that you see? I, I know you guys have done some work here in Austin and I think that that's you know, perfect and ties into that. So like, what do some of these local deals look like? Yeah. Uh, specifically in Austin, you hit on it, right? We partnered with an, a, a burger spot called Jew boy burgers. Um, actually the owner was a former offensive lineman himself. So it was something near and dear to his heart, mm -hmm. but the burger spot was actually celebrating the launch of their new breakfast burrito. And what we did was we partnered them with the entire university of Texas offensive line. So starting left tackle all the way to third string, right guard. Um, and what they did was they came in, they promoted the launch of the burrito on their social medias. And then they also came in and, you know, um, met with patrons and, you know, had a really great morning. Um, and one of the things that we saw is obviously it was the first day they were launching the burrito. So it's of course a hundred percent increase in sales, but yep. they sold about a hundred breakfast burritos and they had never sold a breakfast burrito ever before. Um, so the value was immediately imminent. Um, we were able to capture that and we're really excited for the partnership with Jew Boy Burgers. But the best part beyond anything else is that it proved out our hypothesis that, you know, it doesn't have to be the starting quarterback or the starting point guard who engages from an NIL perspective. There's opportunity and value to be driven by all athletes. And that's what we built here. Yeah. What, you know, there's such a focus on football and basketball because they are the main two revenue sports, but you know, let's say I'm a golfer or I'm a gymnast or a swimmer. Can I still use mogul? What does that look like for, for my career? Yeah. I mean, to his point, right. Our hypothesis coming into this was in our, our the question that we wanted to answer. I wanted to answer was how can we provide value for that other 99% Peyton that wasn't going to have the chance, you know, to be a Trevor Lawrence or a Zion Williamson or, yep. or, or a Drew Brees from, from, yeah, uh, from Purdue. Go. Right. But they and still, Austin, right, and Austin, right. But they still provided so much value in the local communities, yep. um, being that again, like schools like Texas, they're they are the celebrity within the community, um, and and something that we're excited about, and um, you know, continue to build towards is like is providing uh, structure around athletes and they're doing personal training lessons and, and camps, right? Because every athlete, oh, that's interesting. Every athlete can you know has someone within their community you know, 50 mile radius that looks up to them and that values them and, and thinks, oh, they play, they play at a collegiate level, like from a D, division three school athlete can do this. Right. Yeah. Um, because they're playing at a collegiate level. They've made it to the, the, that, you know, that height of, of competition. So there's always a kid, a high school kid or a, a mother or father of a, of a nine-year-old that wants their kid to have someone to look up to and kind of be a role model. So they'll put their kid with them to, to train them. Right. And, I think that opportunity is going to be very lucrative for for athletes for you know for many years to come within the NIL space. Um, and to you know again to Aiden's point, eighty percent of our athletes and the deals that have been constructed through the mobile platform have been through uh, non-revenue generating sports or or athletes. So again, it, it just confirms our hypothesis coming into this. Now, something that probably hasn't happened yet because NIL is so new, but what is the process going to look like when somebody, you know, a business wants to stop working with an athlete or, you know, maybe the athlete does something that violates the terms of the contract. What yeah. does that rescinding process look like or what is it going to look like? Yeah, I think UCLA comes to me. Like I'm it's funny like I have these, you know, 
these uh, examples in my head already when you, you, you proposed these scenarios, but the UCLA offensive lineman, there was a, a, a viral video of him, uh, you know, being using derogative, uh, you know, vocabulary. And so he had a partnership with, I forget the brand, but, you know, they just, they uh, negated the contract, right? So it was, it was within the contract that they could, um, you know, void this did contract. He know, did he know that that was in the contract? Or did I that doubt of- he knew that. Um, and it's probably within the, like, it's tough, right? Like as an athlete, you're not reading seven pages. But it's probably a pretty traditional contract in form of like, don't embarrass the brand. Don't embarrass the, yeah, exactly. Um, like any Nike deal, like if a professional athlete did something stupid, they can, you know, they take away your contract. So that's one of the examples that I've seen. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, that's going to be a thing for, you know, all athletes to consider and it's just their behavior and, and. Um, it, you know, what it, what it really allows is for athletes to become a professional and to begin developing their professional careers so much early on, rather than having to wait till they actually become a pro. Can mogul help with the compliance form? Like I'm trying to think as a compliance department, um, you know, you, there's 85 players on the, on the football team. And then you have, you know, a, a ton of other athletes. I mean, that's a lot of deals to manage. So kind of from a compliance standpoint, if, you know, a, something is happening with all of those individual deals. Can Mogul be used to kind of help with that? Yeah. So that's part of the reason why we hired our director of compliance, right? So not only does he have experience working in Stanford's compliance office and at the NCAA and interning for Villanova's um, compliance office as well, but he also has a law background um, mm-hmm. and, and a JD as well. So he has the ability to really provide a lot of color and a lot of value um, with regards to you know, contract review and remediation where necessary as well. At scale, we'll obviously be part, probably partnering with um, some law firms and things like that in order to continue to provide that value for compliance offices. But right now, he's been um, the primary you know mediator in those situations. We luckily, from a mogul perspective, haven't ran into any of those um, remediation mm-hmm. um, scenarios yet. But we definitely you know see them on the horizon as something that can happen. Yeah. No, I, I definitely, and, you know, kind of tying back into what we were talking about earlier with the learning year, um, I think, you know, in a calendar year, everybody's going to kind of take a step back and, and, and look at what happened the last year in, in terms of NIL and changes are going to be made, things are going to be walked back, but also things are going to be added and there's a really bright future. So kind of where is NIL going to go in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that's going to happen, or at least that we're hoping happens is regulation. Right. So you want, you want that structure. Correct. Yeah. Because we've built everything from a platform perspective to be able to work with a strong regulatory environment. We've all we've always approached this space from an oversight perspective, recognizing that athletes would benefit from regulation. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we definitely anticipate is a national uh, name, image and likeness um, rule. How, how long that takes, I'm not sure um, it could we were expect we were we were expecting it in July, then we were expecting it in you know January, but who knows? Um, probably a couple of years out. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the things that that will really help with is a from a compliance disclosure perspective, it makes our lives easier. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about all right in Ohio, athletes have to disclose their activity seven days in advance, or in Florida, athlete, is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, and then, or in Florida, you know, athletes can, um, they don't have to disclose their specific monetary compensation or they can work with alcohol brands, but then in Texas, they absolutely can't, right? So there's all those nuances that we will then no longer have to deal with, hopefully. Um, but so I think regulation largely is coming and it will help, it'll really benefit us as well. Because once there's broader oversight and also, um, you know, repercussions of not disclosing on your um, on behalf of your NIL, then people are going to be more inclined to use a platform such as ours. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing I love and kind of over the course of this entire conversation, you guys have been, you know, kind of flexing your knowledge of the industry and, and what this kind of looks like. But, you know, the really cool thing is, you know, maybe two, three years ago, you guys weren't necessarily at this point of, of understanding exactly the nuances, let alone being able to build a business on it. So why don't we kind of move a little bit into your backgrounds and what kind of made you unique and able to address this challenge and build mogul as a business. So, you know, why, why, why you two, why, why are you guys able to do this? <clears throat> well, I appreciate Aiden and the opportunity to, to join and, and, uh, t- 
to get rolling with a product like this, right? And to be in this business. But for me, you know, and something that I've noticed about myself is I've, I've taken really, um, uh, like I've, I've really enjoyed product, uh, updating our product features to mm -hmm. best suit our athletes. Uh, that's something I never expected is to be like focused on the, on the tech build out. Yeah. Um, but we have great communication with our tech team. They've done a really good job of, of, of uh, innovating, right? It's such a, it's such a iterative it, process. Yeah, iterative process because every day there's something, okay, this athlete doesn't like this or this business wants this, right? They rather this feature. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm able to understand. And from point, from the first time that we spoke about creating a product, it was how can we make this the most easy and seamless process for the athlete? So it's like, how can we take them from point A and NIL process to point Z, and, and we continue to build out uh, product features that allow the athletes to go about this within a 30 minute time span and, and the businesses to, uh, you know, produce the same type of outcome uh, within a short time. Uh, but my background personally, having played sports, it was just what does the athlete want? What's best going to suit the athlete? Like encompassing the entire athletic department. You're the industry expert. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, and, um, and Aiden was the mind, you know, behind. I'll let him get into it. But the idea, um, obviously, you know, there's nothing without the idea. Mm -hmm. He's really humble. He said he played sports. Former, <laughs> former quarterback at the University of Notre Dame here played sports. <laughs> I played sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, right, it, I think one of the really, really great parts about this new entrepreneurship journey has been able, has been, the ability to leverage everything that I've learned throughout my professional career in the past, like broadly from an operational and a management perspective, um, and just from an overall process perspective, the importance of process and standardized approach um, and managing a team has been really, really incredible for me. Obviously, um, I was part of a really great wealth management rotational analyst program at Morgan Stanley that really instilled accountability mm. um, and you know structure and everything. So that's been really great to apply to this team and take a lot of those, those lessons and learnings from that. Um, but also from a broadly, from a sales perspective as well. Um, at the end of the day, when you're working in wealth and when you're working in fundraising and in, in private equity, you're, you're essentially doing sales, right? You're selling your business, you're yep. selling your company. And then, you know, as Brandon and I, um, over the last four months, we just concluded our pre-seed fundraise. Um, extremely excited to there go. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, massively subscribe oversubscribed in that round. Um, and that fundraising experience really provided um, really great experience and you know obviously materials, modeling, um, you know presentations, things like that has been really valuable for us as a team. But the best part about this entire journey that we've been on together, right? And my God, it's been a while, right? October of 2019 is when we started. And then for the longest time, it was just Brandon and I doing networking calls with sports tech executives, VCs, um, developers, things like that, just learning how to be an entrepreneur. And we're still learning every day. Mm -hmm. like we didn't know how to incorporate a company. We didn't know how to trademark anything. We'd, Google has been a big friend of us. Oh, it's huge. Um, <laughs> I owe Google a lot of money. <laughs> right. Don't Absolutely, we right? <laughs> um, and that's just been the f most exciting part about this. I remember... The day, and I think it they coincided really well, the day that Brandon and I both stopped our full-time jobs mm. and just did mogul, I remember waking up and being like, holy shit, Like this is what I do for a living now. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Let's, let's talk about that because I think that there are a lot of our listeners who have a crazy idea, and we kind of quoted it a couple episodes ago, but entrepreneurship, in, in my opinion, is turn, you know taking a chance and turning your crazy idea into something real. And I think that there are so many of us who are – working another job who have something, you know, cooking, something that we work on from nine to five, the reverse way, right? 9 PM to like 5 AM, like we're grinding on it. You know, what is, what was your process to kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, I need to take this leap of faith. I need to dive into mogul head first. Cause it, it, it's a scary decision to make. Yeah. I mean, for us, we wanted to do it, you know, months and months before we actually took that leap. Right. Yep. Um, unfortunately due to the, um, you know, the lack of visibility or lack of transparency into name, image, and likeness regulation, we weren't able to take that step until, you know, roughly two months out, we knew, okay, this is going into effect. Regulation is going to allow this to happen. Yep. Now we'll be able to truly prepare for this. Um, so for us, it, you know, it was hard work. 
I mean, it's cliche as cliche as it is, is to say, you know, finishing the day job around six, seven, and then getting started on the real yep. work, um, that can't be overstated. And yep. that's something that has been really, really interesting and exciting to look back on as well as like, holy crap, like this took a lot of work. Um, so, you know, I mean, for us, it was obviously the regulation changed things and allowed us to do this legally, mm -hmm. but also we had the opportunity to join a venture studio, which was founded by um, two, you know, veterans in, in the tech space. So one is a former CTO, 10 times serial entrepreneur with a focus in marketplaces. And then the other is, you know, on the Midas list for top VC investors in the world, um, founder of Pivot North Capital. And they gave us the ability to then leave our full-time jobs, right? They, they um, put some money up front for us as we uh, navigated our fundraise. And then we were able to go at this full-time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's talk a little bit about fundraising because I think it's something that scares a lot of people. Um, right now, for for T two, we're finishing um, our second round of of funding right now, and uh, I have learned so much through it. But you know, what do you think is a good way to get started when it comes to to raising money? Um, you know, I think everybody is really scared by the term VC and you know, standing in front of a room full of of dudes in suits and trying to pitch your idea and then almost guaranteed to say no, right? You know, these big firms are only taking, you know, seven, eight deals a year. Where, where can somebody get started if they, you know, think that fundraising is the route that they need to go? Make a great deck. <laughs> <laughs> Just start with an incredible deck and it'll help you, but there yeah. you go. So we, we're lucky, right? Like we're blessed. Um, and we've been parts of so many conversations, um, but we're, we're fortunate to have a, a network um, of people who, like he said, we're in a venture studio with a guy who was a former partner at, at Sequoia Capital. And he's been a mentor of mine for probably seven, you know, six, seven years now. Um, so I spent some time at, while I was at school doing some venture capital work and was able to network. Um, and I think that's something that Aiden and I are, are pretty strong at. But when it comes to specifically funding, I think for your company, you have to you have to understand whether or not your company is, is going to be better off with you you know, going the institutional capital route or with you, um, uh, um, what's it called? Bootstrapping your entire company. Right. Yep. And, and we were, we were on that path for a long time and, but we understood that, okay, this is going to take a little bit more capital on our hands to get to the point that we want to go to. And then for us, it was like, okay, we really need to raise because this is such a land grab, yep. right? Like this was like, who's going to win in the first six to 12 months and and um you know really comprise themselves of the athlete population right there's 500,000 athletes but it's who's going to get you know the the population who's going to you know have the better product early on yep um and then the same thing it's like who can sell, sell more on the business side and we needed to hire and hire uh to make that come to fruition so for us it was okay let's go raise a little bit of money whether it's institutional capital angel investors and it was really people uh, we launched our first, it was a safe round structure, right? Yep. So it was really, truly just support, right? Yeah. From family, friends, and people with Which is our, a good place to start, right? Because I think your family and friends can very quickly validate your idea in terms of, okay, hey, like, this is real. Because if you can't articulate it and get your family excited about it, it's right. going to be really, really hard but to get But, you know, investors. sometimes Peyton, they're, like, excited just because, because you're you. excited. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, and... Um, but for us, again, it was, it was truly support people from the Notre Dame community, people who helped us and supported us along the way. And obviously, you know, the guy that we're speaking of from Sequoia was very well, you know, supported within the VC industry. It's like when he backs something, it's backed, it's backed yeah. and by other people. So we understood the, the, the approach that we wanted to take. And again, like Aiden said, we're fortunate to be oversubscribed, but I think it's really important from, a uh, entrepreneur standpoint to understand whether or not your your company is going to be better off being bootstrapped or if you need to go the institutional capital route because if you, you receive institutional capital it's likely that they're going to want to you know sometimes veer off or, or take your they're company, getting really they're getting really involved they're going to get in the weeds and and may take your company in a different direction that you don't you don't plan on going so just be very careful about that and hopefully you know we're at a point within the next year or so that you know, we've given up all the equity that we that we need to, and we can continue to run and, and own the company, um, you know, to the point that we do today. Yeah, you know, that's equity is another kind of, you know, scary topic, because I think everybody, 
I, I, so many people think that like you need to control 51% of your company and like, they're like, Oh, I don't want to give up any equity. But like, if you look at really successful companies, nobody owns 51%. That, that's 15. That's, yeah. It's 15. Bezos owns 12% of Amazon. So, you know, why don't you guys kind of talk a little bit about your philosophy and your understanding and the evolution of that towards equity? Because especially early on, it is such an incredibly powerful resource, right? It allows you to bring the right people on. I'm, I'm sure your uh, director of compliance was somebody that was really important. I mean, that potentially is an equity worthy position, right? You know, that's, and also when you're transitioning out of the bootstrap, you know, you might not necessarily have the cash on hand to pay somebody a crazy salary to bring them in. So you have to get them excited with equity. So why don't you guys talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, from day one, um, basically when we were trying to figure out whether we wanted to bootstrap this or whether we wanted to take on equity, the saying that we kept saying was, would you rather have a hundred percent of zero yep. or would you rather have, you know, 30% of, you know, make it up, whatever yep. you, whatever you think this is worth. Um, a billion dollars for a unicorn. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was kind of what we continue, consistently said. Um, and in, equity is incredibly important. I, the one thing that I would say on the equity note to you know founders um, who are just getting started out or who potentially evaluating advisor roles or, or new hires as well is that just you really want to make sure that any new hire, any advisor that's coming on is going to be able to provide you value beyond just that first year mm. or that first two years. Because I think one of the really short-sighted things that a lot of companies do and we've seen some in our space even do it as well is they bring on a lot of advisors um, for immediate short-term gain and then get strapped on the equity, whatever that is yep. that they're giving up to them, like half a percent, quarter percent, potentially even a percent. Um, but then, you know, long-term, are they really going to continue it? continually yeah. be able to you can dish value. out those fast agreements all you want and you can oh, bring absolutely. on as many advisors. And, 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 and especially when you're getting started, um, you, you may really think that you need it, right? Yeah. Like, Things aren't hitting, you're losing traction, or you're not gaining the traction that you thought you might, and you get all of a sudden connected to a major you know, executive or um, someone who has a network that you really think would benefit you or a professional athlete, right? Um, and you dish out equity, and then you know, six months later, after they kind of sent your idea out to all their friends, what are they really doing for you? Mm -hmm. um, so that was something that we evaluated a lot, um, and we had the opportunity to give away a lot of equity that we really never did. Yeah. Um, we're excited about that. Really excited about that. What, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, the things that we're excited for um, and, and happy things, right? But part of running a business is overcoming adversity. And I think as a, you know, former athlete, or as you said, somebody who played sports, um, you know, failure and adversity is something that's really important. So do you guys maybe have an opportunity where, you know, something on the business front maybe didn't go your way, but out of it, you either took something really valuable, learning experience, or maybe a new opportunity, kind of, you know, Phoenix out of the ashes kind of thing. Um, one of the things that I can talk about, it's it's not necessarily a day-to-day -day, um, failure, but um, part, part of that fundraising conversation, right, is in order to really have a serious conversation about fundraising, you really need to build out and validate the use case, right? Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that beyond just, um, you know, focus groups and surveying is building out an MVP. Yep. And we did that. Um, we used it to validate our use case. And that was part of the reason why we were able to raise money so quickly was because we've been here for roughly three years, right? Mm -hmm. And we really have validated that use case without even having the platform prior to, you know, the last year. Yep. But... One of the things I would say that, you know, one of the failures that we had as first time founders is that as we were so, you know, um, in the weeds building our business, speaking with as many businesses as possible and athletes as possible, we weren't paying close enough attention to the outsourced dev that was building our MVP. Mm. So we would have weekly calls with them and, you know, they'd say, hey, this is going great. This is going great. This is the update. This is the update. Um, but we weren't, you know, sinking our teeth in to the degree that you really need to yep. with, with your first product or platform development. Um, and I would say that that was, you know, one of our potential failures or something that could have sped up things later yep. down the line. If we had been more involved from the start on the dev perspective, like we had just anticipated them getting the vision and building it. Um, but when we actually took it to our internal dev team that we have now, um, or exceptional, there were many issues, many bugs and, um, you know, you live and you learn. Yeah. We didn't know. Like we we didn't yeah. know, right? Yeah. We had no idea what we were doing and it's just like 
great. Like, you know, this kid, we had, we had people, we thought people had experience and we thought they were just going to understand what we understood. Right. Yep. And that's just not the case. Yeah. No, our first, uh, our first MVP, we did an offshore team uh, and uh, we did weekly standups and we would just like my, my technical co-founder, Luke, he would have to just untangle messes every single week. And, and we've recently shifted to a different dev shop and we have daily standups and it has made all the difference in the entire yeah. world because I see every single advancement and I can nip it in the bud before it gets yeah. out of control. They get, they get annoyed. They're like, you have so many correct bugs and yeah. you know, when you do the daily ones. Yep. But also at the same time as a, you know, as a founder, it, it's your money. It's your right, investor's right, money. Right. Like you better make sure right. that Everything's you're, you know, yeah. And, and they're, th and if they don't like it, then they can stop working with you, yeah. you know, kind of thing. No, so, the, the, our, our internal dev has been amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, the other thing on that note, right, is you actually had a technical founder or a technical partner <laughs> yep. um, for the first year and a half. It was just Brandon and I yep. um, and a, a team of interns throughout, you know, universities throughout the country. So it was Brandon and I who have never taken an engineering class in our entire lives overseeing, you know, the development of an incredibly powerful platform that doesn't work. No. So uh, luckily now we have, you know, former CTO on our team and we have a project manager and we have five full-time engineers. So, yeah, um, we're, you know, we're a little bit more, um, you know, yeah, I mean, and, and that that's part of this entire learning process, right? That's what being an entrepreneur is all about. Understanding what your strengths are, what your team strengths are, and then understanding where your gaps are, and then going out and filling it accordingly. Guys, uh, this conversation has been has been awesome, but I have one final question for each of you. Simply, why are you entrepreneurs? To be honest, I didn't know what I was going to be, right? Like, I, had, I studied accounting, and, and the purpose for me studying accounting was to grasp a, a foundational understanding of, of business. And I think I've done that. Mm -hmm. And Notre Dame did a good job of that. But it was, I think more so than me actually studying accounting is the people that were around me that helped yeah. me understand business, right? It was the conversations that I was able to have. Um, but why am I an entrepreneur today is is solely for the opportunity to learn. Like I'm, I'm a very curious uh, individual and entrepreneurship has opened so many lanes and avenues of learning. Um, and from our experience, just two years, we're going to be able, Aiden and I are going to be able to, like, we're, I was reading Rich Dad, uh, Poor Dad, Poor Dad yep. and the opportunity to be good at a breadth of things rather than a specialty, I think is proven to have so much more value, especially in the world that we're living in today. So I think, our experiences are, are really as an entrepreneur are going to help us conquer so much more than, you know, what we would have done if we were, you know, specialized in one category. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I touched on it earlier, but I'm, I'm really an entrepreneur to make a difference and truly make an impact. Um, I think that you can have a great life, you know, working a finance career in New York and in many ways you are making a difference with your clients. Um, but I think the breadth, of the difference that you can make as an entrepreneur and also just the overall control over whom you're benefiting and what you're benefiting is far greater. Um, it's been the most exceptional experience of my entire life. And um, as Brandon said, learning at a much faster rate as well. Yep. Right? You learn really specific skills in, um, in your professional career, right? Excel, PowerPoint, portfolio management, for example, in finance. But here we're learning how to build a company. We're learning some stuff about technical development. We're learning sales at scale. We're learning, um, you know, networking to the degree that I never even thought possible. Um, and you know, we're we're also learning how to manage a team um, at candidly a young age, right? Yeah. Um, and you're learning it fast. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the youngest CEOs at you know large companies are 35 something like that, and that's insane. Um, and we're doing it here. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're, I'm truly, you know, an entrepreneur because I tried it the other way. And, um, I think that this is just so much better and it's something that I'm so much more passionate about. Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a great take on it. You, you tried it and, and you like it this way. Cause I think it's important for everybody to, you know, try the different routes. I mean, for some people they try entrepreneurship and it didn't work for them, which is totally fine. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of our listeners here 
they they tend to skew our way a little bit more. So guys, if, if people want to learn a little bit more about Mogul, where can they go? Where can they find you? And then if they want to learn more about you as, as individuals, where can they find you guys? Social media plugs. So we are online. I think that's the best way to find information. Uh, we are urging people to sign up too. That's why I'm saying we're online. www.mogul, that's M-O-G-L dot online. Um, we have a full website there. And then we're also on Instagram. That's at get, G-E-T dot mogul. Um, then we're also on uh, Twitter, the mogul app. We're also really active on our LinkedIn. And that's where we post tons of our, our updates, our daily, weekly updates um where else we're on tiktok we do love these podcasts so yep. thank you so much uh you're about to say something verified on tiktok verified, verified on tiktok <laughs> there you go big stuff yeah um but no we're all over the place and and uh we're looking forward to connecting with anybody who wants to learn more um personally i'm on instagram at brandon wimbush um and uh same thing on twitter so yeah, same thing. Um, would love to connect to any aspiring entrepreneurs, um, any potential customers or athletes of Mogul as well. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn, Aiden Sayal. I'm also on Instagram, Aiden Sayal. Um, the last name spelled S-Y-A-L. Actually, my first name spelled weird too. <laughs> You'll find me. Um, it's on the website. But yeah, I would just really emphasize sign up for Mogul. It's completely free to do so. So any businesses listening, especially, it allows you the ability to experiment with this and explore. You can post as many opportunities as you like for free. That's mogul.online. There you go. Aiden, Brandon, thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Peyton. All right, guys. Uh, if you want to continue this discussion, follow us on our social media, our Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebooks. We'll all be in the description of this episode. Hop on there, shoot us a DM, hit us up with whatever concerns, questions, comments that you guys have. We'd love to continue building that community on there. Next, subscribe to wherever you're listening to this, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, you name it, we got it. And the only other thing I'm going to add is... As you're subscribing to those platforms, hop on there, give us rates and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts. Five-star ratings and a uh, and, and a comment go a really long way. Helps us continue to to climb up the charts and you know continue to to spread this to to all corners of the world and allow us to continue to bring on great guests. We really appreciate you guys for everything, and we're excited to see you next week.